Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. A new year, time for new growth. Grow your education and skills with Herzing University. Our online behavioral health programs fit your schedule and time. From an eight-month diploma program in health and human services to a 36-month bachelor's in psychology. Grow your behavioral health career with us wherever you are in your education. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Visit us online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. Online at herzing.edu or text HEALTH to 85109. All right, we're up. Yep, we are live. Dave Sobel, you are in the house. You're in the place to be. Welcome to the podcast. What's going on? Well, thanks for having me. Super excited to talk to you tonight. Yes, and you know, like I was telling you before we started recording here, you know, we have a little bit of a similar background, but you know, you have your own podcast. You, uh, yeah, also the owner of MSP Radio, and you're also into IT services as well. Yeah, I, I've got you know, the, my little story, depending on how people want to hear it. Like, you know, you can go like all the way to getting into computers as a kid. Uh, I always sort of start professionally. Like I have a degree in computer science. Like I'm, nice. I actually intended to do this, uh, you know, so graduated with, from William Mary with a with a degree. Uh, I launched in the late 90s as a consultant, right? It was a great time to go out and did a bunch of consulting work, wrote a couple of startups up and down. Uh, the last one, we would now call it like a cloud SaaS provider, uh, but we were way too early with that, with that product. Uh, and it crashed and burned kind of spectacularly in 2002. And uh, I, my lesson there was that, uh, that when they laid off all the development teams, that the bosses keep their jobs. Uh, and I sort of quipped and I said, well, I can run a company into the ground just as much as those numbnuts. Uh, so I launched my IT services company in, in 2002. And, and actually, like, a bunch happened on that day. It was quite a day. Uh, but I la- launched, the, launched the business then. And now, you know, now we would call it a managed services provider. My basic premise was, was I wanted to get paid, right? I want to get paid ahead of time for a contract. Uh, rather than chase time and materials, because yeah. anybody who does this knows that like billing for time and chasing that and billing in the end, that's that's just a hard model. And I knew I wanted to bill ahead of time. So I built a set of services and we build ahead of time and we engaged our customers that way. And it was a it was a good run. I had a, had a 10 year run with that business. And I, I did all kinds of stuff. I wrote a book. I was a Microsoft MVP. I was a CompTIA lecturer. I launched peer groups in Europe. Like I did all this other stuff too. Uh, and then I sold the business and it was, uh, you know, and I was described as a moderately successful regional managed services provider. And the reason is, is that I didn't want to then go be a consultant and like teach other people to be MSPs. I actually wanted to go continue to learn. 
Uh, and I worked for two software vendors next. And uh, and I worked for a company called Level Platforms, which we which I helped grow and was sold to ABG. And then I worked and worked for a company called GFI. We became Logic Now. We got purchased by SolarWinds three years in. Uh, everyone knows SolarWinds, of course, now. Uh, I stayed stayed at SolarWinds for three years. I, I uh, resigned or, and left the org uh, about a week before they were hacked. It was amazing timing. Uh, <laughs> Although our group never had anything to do with that side of the business. We were the managed services side, but I was there about six years. And so that was an eight year run as a software vendor. And, and so then I was like, okay, now I, I know how to learn how to run managed services companies. I know how to do education and enablement. And I said, now I actually want to combine these and do news and analysis. And then, then I launched the the podcast and the media company. And here I am three years later. And that's what I do every single day. Oh man. Love it, man. So you, you always intended to go into IT though, because like whereas where I went, where me, I felt like I told you I fell into it a little bit later, just recent in the last five years. So that was your initial plan. Like you knew you were all about technology. And I knew I knew I wanted to be in computers, right? Like little five year old me with my first computer, uh, you know, which was which was a, a Commodore sixty four, and that's the original childhood monitor in my background. Uh, like I I knew I wanted to do something with technology. It was just a it was just for me. It's just this amazing. Like I knew this is what I wanted to do as a thing right uh, if you'd asked college me like what i thought i'd be doing it would be like programming and developing products and the software side of this like i i think that like so it's it's always been a kind of a it's a bit of a meander through <laughs> to get to get here uh i love the services space now the the number i always like to cite is is you know for every dollar of revenue that microsoft does they do $7 of associated revenue with their partners and services companies. Uh, that's a, it's a, it's a big market <laughs> of the people helping and deliver technology services and making the tech work. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the bit now that just, just gets me up and fascinates me. Just, and just for the audience sake, when you say IT services, what exactly are you referring to? Are you referring to a little bit of everything? Or are you referring to just a specific it's intentionally broad, uh, you know, and, and it it varies, right? So if you're if you're a small business owner, it's the company that helps you with your computers, right? That helps you with your tech. If you're in an organization and you do IT support and and such for the organization, it's you too. It at the large company level, there's you know big companies like Accenture and stuff that that do that kind of stuff. Or government contractors. I live outside of DC, so there's a lot of government contractors, but all of them are doing fundamentally the implementation of technology in their customers' environments, and they use services smarts to do it. Right, it's not the not necessarily the pure product bit, and that's that's for me that definition of IT services. Got you, and and that's what you wanted to kind of saw yourself going into rather than just kind of focusing. Like you said, it was pretty broad. You just wanted to focus on the the bigger spectrum of it all. Oh, it depends on what you'd ask me. Like little kid me, no, not at all, and not even like the the version that got degree. It was it was a, a key decision I made when I when I started that first business. Yeah. Uh, and and it comes a little bit back to my specialty. So I went when I was a when I was a product guy and was writing code, I actually specialized not only in writing the code, but implementing the infrastructure underneath it. So uh, one of the projects I worked on was a really early e-commerce implementation. We did this really cool like you could order plastics, uh, industrial level plastics from a website circa like 1999 right so this was like a 
you know, early e-commerce offering. So if you're a you're building industrial plastics, you could log in, you could spec out exactly the way you needed it, the way the cuts were going to go, and then you could buy it online and it would be delivered. And we built that whole system, uh, the the consulting firm I worked for. And what I could do was not only write the write the code that ran it, but I could actually implement the database, implement the web server, like build out the physical server itself, install it. Like I could do all of those bits. Uh, and not a lot of guys that could code could also do that that implementation of the network and all of the stuff around it. Sure. And and I laugh and go like I did it because I was a geek and I liked doing that stuff. And also because if I if I knew how to work with the hardware, I could make up for my code not always being so great. Uh, I could I could optimize the fact that well maybe my performance on my code's a little bad, but I'm going to make up for that by optimizing the drive axes so that you won't notice that it's a little slower than it should be. Right. So like that was my bit is is I could do the whole thing uh and when i launched the when my when i launched my business i kind of had that decision of well i'm going to go the website or am i going to go the infrastructure side and i chose the infrastructure side so that's kind of why i asked is because that's currently what i am kind of going through right now with my early it career we're learning like what is my niche 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 that <laughs> whatever the word is that uh what do I want to really want to focus on? And, and just so for example, you know, I do it support, like I was telling you about a little bit earlier. And so I have to kind of learn everything in my, where I'm working at now, which I'll tell you later when we get off, off of the air, but so, I, but like I'm focusing on where or learning what I want to focus on, which is seems to be more like the networking side. So right now I'm currently studying for my CCNA and then apparently if I want to, I can get my CompTIA A plus one too, but mm -hmm. that's kind of where I'm at though. Is like, what is my deal? What do I like to learn about? What do I want to, what really do I see myself problem solving with? What do I really like? What really, you know, gets my wheels turning, I guess. So, and I was just kind of wondering like, Ooh, what was it for you? Is it just a little bit of everything? You're like, do you have felt like you had to learn everything or did you have a specialty or I guess that's why I asked that. I, mean, I started, I started out actually being a jack of all trades. Like that was definitely where I've started. Now that that's harder and harder now, right? You know, the, as we, we get more and more mature with this, some of these, these technologies are super deep. Um, you know, it was, it was a lot easier when I started, you know, lots of years ago, uh, you know, when, when, when I did this, because, you know, there, the, the systems were a lot less complex. Now, the more we add, uh, you know, cloud services, and we add all of the the implementations, and particularly the security around this. It's it's harder. It's a lot harder to be a jack of all trades and be really good at all of them. Um, and I think so. So now, you know, my advice more to those that are starting out is is that you actually do want to go deep. You know, you want to find out those areas of specialty and go really deep into them. Yeah. And you know, talking about cloud services and maybe even hybrid cloud services, and with the future of I guess IT in general, do you see in like running out of space and storage? Do you see like in DC, they have what fields of data centers of football fields of data centers right there? I mean, do you see more people trying to get integrated or companies integrated with the cloud or does it just all depend on your scenario? I mean, it would be like, for example, being in DC, the government would probably, would they want more physical stuff on their own because they have a whole different set of guidelines and logistics they want to take care of rather than somebody cloud hosting it? No, the, even the government's leading heavy into cloud. I mean, they just finished they just finished a massive bid uh, on their joint warfare cloud computing initiative. I think JWCC, uh, the new one, which was their big investment. They did deals with all four of the major cloud providers. They're doing deals with Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and with Oracle. 
to implement that. Microsoft has a whole federal cloud initiative. You can do all their Azure services in a dedicated federal environment. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so people are leaning super heavy. And you're exactly right. Like, you know, I live in Northern Virginia, Loudoun County, full of data centers, like full of data centers. Yeah. You ever do that? You do that landing in Dulles in the airport. Those those warehouses, those are data centers. In fact, fifty uh, percent of the U.S. data center space is in Virginia. Ooh, I didn't know that. Most people don't know that. You know, roughly, as, as, as much as 70% of all internet traffic comes through Northern Virginia. Uh, it's a huge infrastructure hub for the for the world. Um, you know, there's there's some core root services for Amazon that are that are actually based here in Northern Virginia. Um, I'm super spoiled on bandwidth. <laughs> it's somebody who lives up here. Um, but I, I I mean I very much say think that the the future is cloud. Like the future is all cloud um, because it's so flexible, infinitely scalable. Resources come out so much faster. Like it's just, it just makes so much sense. And it removes a lot of complexity that we've just talked about is so hard to do. And it allows those in those organizations to focus on just the smaller bits that they need to. Yeah, they don't have to have a whole team of people just organizing the whole a whole data center where, you know, you can leave it up to the experts and yeah, ex- exactly. I mean, and and you know, and it's essentially you you just have to solve the bandwidth problem, right? Which I'm not don't want to dismiss. Like that's a thing, but I, but I look at it and say if we if we as a society invest heavily in infrastructure, just like roads and bridges and electricity and stuff, and just make in like data infrastructure part of that, it's the massive unlock from a technology perspective. Yeah, yeah, and I agree 100. I mean, just for example, here in my area, we well, not we, I didn't do it, but. They uh, just announced that we'd actually be getting fiber here uh, in within the next year. So in the second half of 2023, rather than just having regular old cable, yeah, internet. And I was like, finally, like you know, like a little nod to the guy. It's like, thank you. Finally, we're kind of starting to move forward a little bit. And that's what, and then that was one of my biggest complaints with, you know, working in higher education and in the IT stuff is that you know why are we not? And I'm just, we had typical some fiber there, but it was ran off from other surrounding counties or whatever but it's just like why can't we just not get fiber in the city we got to work this is the key to the future is like what you were just saying like this infrastructure right here it's just like why are we not pushing forward to it and it was just always like you know oh we'll worry about it later everything's working why would not worry about worry about it now so yeah no it's a it's a wise investment so so for me I, I lean into i'm leaning into cloud um you know because i think that's that is distinctly the future yeah no i would agree 100 with that too so but i don't and is that what you tell you know when you're selling your it services uh, I guess products or consulting or whatever you want to say. Information. Well, so I'm, I'm these days I'm an advisor and a commentator. So, so, okay. you know, so what I do, you know, I, I produce a daily news podcast called the business of tech where I analyze uh, stories of the day. And I do a piece called, why do we care? And the idea is, is to apply that story to the delivery of it services. So I look at that and say like, what's important to know about this story from an it services perspective. So for example, you know, on today's show, I just was working on pieces around some of the current job market and where the the tightness is and what we're actually seeing is the, you know, there's all this buzz of tech layoffs. Well, actually, there's data to tell us what's happening with those people. They're actually getting rehired. 96% of them from a software development perspective get new jobs within three months. So we shouldn't focus like that's not a that's not a noise to worry about. Right. So I'm trying to look at these storylines and cut through it to give some insight to people that are doing it. 
Um, with with my thinking being that if I do that, I'm helping these companies be better at what they do, and they'll be leaning into the right trends and focusing on the stuff that's most important. So instead of focusing on who was it recently, Microsoft that laid off what thousands of employees? I can't remember who who did it, but they're actually getting rehired right up. Yeah, the, the data. Yeah, the data is telling them that they're all getting rehired, you know, and, and it makes perfect sense, right? You generally the people that would be working at Microsoft, college educated, technical background, they've they're good enough to have been hired at Microsoft. They're a valuable resource, right? So that so you know, Microsoft got a little Microsoft Meta, like a bunch of bunch of these companies, they got a little ahead of themselves. They overhired. Um, you know, and, th and that's okay, right? That's that's a strategy that they made. Let's analyze it. It's not the, the fault of the workers. That's actually the fault of the management that leaned in too much. You know, a point a point to uh, to to Mark Zuckerberg. You know, he went on record as saying you know, he did the he made a mistake. He misread the market. He overhired. He backed it off. Uh, but by the way, even with his layoffs, he only backed it up to May of this year. So it's not like this was a mat. You know, it's it's even with all the thousands of layoffs that he did, he only backed up about six months of their of their company's growth. So let's you know let's not over rotate on those kinds of stories. Well, it was also this just because of COVID, where they had the market that kind of slowed down just because of the pandemic, and that's why they're like, oh wait, you know, we gotta. It's pandemic, but it's the other reason, actually. So several of the tech companies thought that the conditions during the pandemic were actually going to be permanent. That we because we, we saw some really massive acceleration of e-commerce as a delivery mechanism. We all saw it from working from home, for ordering online, some of that conversion. And, and a lot of those business leaders were projecting saying, okay, this is the new normal, right? The new normal is that consumers are now comfortable with when when things change change back, go back to normal, the new normal, whatever the hell you want to call it, right? <laughs> whatever you want to call that, uh, when we get to the next state, that component of e-com and, and digital consumption is going to stay the same. And they were wrong. It wasn't quite, it's not, it is changed, right? We definitely see that the numbers are not the same as they were pre-pandemic, but they're also not the same as they were during the pandemic. And so we've got a new set of conditions, you know, they just they made the assumption or the guess that it was going to go one way, it didn't. They've got to change course. Yeah, just you know, just react or what yeah, react to whatever that's it's whatever the market's going, just don't keep going with the full force plan and just keep sinking what a sinking ship or whatever. You got to Yeah, I mean it's it's a more of a course correction, right? <laughs> it's not, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, it's it's not like any of these companies are hurting, let's be quite honest. Uh so at the same time it's course correction, right? And that's what business leaders do and then those people get get hired. And that's the kind of analysis that I'm doing is, is I'm telling the, the the people in IT service it's like okay, you're hearing the noise on layoffs, don't worry about that too much. That's not actually the trend. The trend is actually saying the job market's pretty tight. Like overall, the the economy has a pretty tight job market, but it's specifically, it's super tight in technology. There's not enough technology people. That does not appear to be changing. Yeah, there's a narrative right there now where it's always saying that, oh yeah, you can get a job anywhere you want to go right now, right? Just, just go apply and they'll probably hire you if, you if you can breathe and you have a body, right? But it's not entirely true to the what you're saying though just because of jobs like you're saying it's like ah, you know it's a little bit tough to get into that field well, in, in tech in yeah. tech you can get a job like <laughs> it's that it definitely in in technology right now there are more job openings than there are people it's yeah. just a flat out flat out statement there's more demand for technology skills than we have people to deal with it yeah it's just and again it's just a matter of leaving your ego at the door probably as long as you're 
I mean, is it one of those things where, hey, help desk techn- technicians, IT support, whatever, coders? Like, if, you can get a job in IT, but is it just a matter of where you want to start at, or are you okay starting a little bit lower than what you anticipated? Where, you know, I, I had some friends coming out of college who was like, oh, I'm ready to make six figures coming out of college. And it was like, ah, well, and depending on what area you go to, but I guess it was just like, well, well, if you're okay with starting at that help desk and taking about, you know, $30,000, $40,000 less, then maybe you'll get there. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, like, it, it all depends, right? There's a, a bunch of different factors based on skills and need and, and market and and job. Like, th- those are all different variables, right? And so, you know, do I know people that are coming out of out of college and university making six figures? Yes, I do. Is that is that the is that always? No, that's not always. <laughs> it's right, and you know, and there's a bunch of different variables on that. Do I think people in technology can get there? Absolutely. And do I think you can lean into that and do very well very quickly? Oh, most definitely. Right. I I think there's tons of growth opportunity in this in this space on an individual level, um, but you know. At the same time, there are all those different factors when you're starting out. Yeah, that's a good point, though, on an individual level, too, just because if you once you go into it, I mean, you can go, you know, shoot for the moon and aim for the stars or whatever. It's just because there's so much you can get. And that's one thing that, you know, I wish I could go back right after college and start learning and gaining all the experience I can get and learning like little bits of everything, kind of what we've been talking about, rather than just as it comes to me, just like trying to figure it out from right there. So, and then I guess my point to that is it's like, like even learning about these certifications now, I mean, you can take them so far and get all these certifications and just keep moving up the ladder and just, you know, go in as far as you want to on an individual basis, but it's only a matter if that's, if that's what you want, I guess. Yeah. Now, but I'll also say that the, the, my big advice to anybody that is looking at this is to actually spend some time understanding the link between technology and business. Uh, I don't think enough people in technology try and make the connection between what they're doing from a technology perspective and the functions of the businesses that they work in. Interesting. And I'm, I'm going to give you, I have a model, uh, you know, that I talk about as a video on my YouTube channel uh, where I break down my, my measurement for delivering it value. And I, I break it down into good, better, best. Okay. Uh, and, and I'm going to link this directly to the profit and loss statement of the business that you're employed with. And by the way, every business, I don't care if you're a government agency, I don't care if you're a not-for-profit, I don't care if you're mom and pop, sorry, everybody has a profit and loss statement. That is the very basics of running the finances of the business, right? So my good, it is good to be managing the expense side of an of a IT, right? The You're an administrative cost, right? You're keeping the lights on, you are... Uh, keeping the computers running, you but it, you live in that you know general administrative costs portion of the profit and loss. That's kind of considered the bottom of the profit and loss statement, referred to oftentimes in Quip as the SGNA, right? General administrative expenses and such, sales administrative expenses and, and general administrative. It's good. It's good living there. You're important. Keep the lights on. You're right next to rent. You're right next to you know your healthcare. You're right next to like you think people need that stuff to keep a business going, right? Yes, I agree. It's better to be impacting the costs of goods sold. And what I mean by that is, is it, when you measure how something is delivered, you have a portion of it that is the cost of delivering that thing. That, and from an accounting perspective, that lives in the costs of goods sold. Right, right. It's much higher up on the profit and loss sheet. It's much more important to the business leaders to manage their costs, right? Because the more they manage costs directly related to the delivery of whatever their core business is, 
that's important to them because if they can make efficiencies in there, that drops profit into the business. So if you actually can link your technology spend into reducing and making the cost of goods sold more efficient, that's better. I like that a lot more. But what's best is if you can make technology investments as a business leader that drive top line revenue, hmm. right? Drive they've that is the most important thing. And every business leader I've ever met will spend a dollar to make two in top line revenue. Right? If they say, right, if you are doing something that says, hey, this technology spend will allow us to directly sell more product, recruit more members, uh, grow the in, you know the enrollment of the of the school, help us drive more donations from a not for profit. If you're driving top line revenue, that's best. And the more technology people understand that relationship to the profit and loss statement, the better they'll do. No, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, was this something that you kind of just came up? on your own, just thinking about it so much one day and just, or is this something you kind of like took from bits and pieces through your, all your whole career? I mean, is, is any idea new, right? You kind of have to, is it, point. that's a good point nowadays. Right. I mean, it's for me, it's, I spent a lot of time trying to communicate the communicate complex ideas to convey them to, to people and help them understand. And so I looked, I looked and I said, you know, I've, I've spent my career looking at the, at the way we implement technology. I needed a good lens to measure this. I have come up with my version of explaining it. And this is the way that I present it is <laughs> to help people understand that relationship yeah i mean i love i love the way you're putting it that like that just because i've never really heard anything like that before but just you know one of those things and i agree with you about not knowing things like that just because until this conversation nothing like that's really occurred to me you know and, and i work in you know it's where my work is government so usually in that case i'm not having to work worry about profit margins or anything like that but i know some people are well, somebody in the organization always is, right? Always is. And the more that you can, your work directly translates into that. And, and in government, government's just the same, right? It's the same model. They take money, they have to deploy it, and they have to get results for that bit. And if they can deploy the money, and they can do it directly to the mission they're trying to accomplish, that's top line revenue for them. Right. The difference in government is you just don't have to end up with money at the end. You don't have to end up with profit. Yes. Yeah. That's it. But you still have to spend the money and measure it against the goal and understand that the money that you're spending results in growth to the goal. Yes. The same economics. That's that makes more sense to me now, just like that, just because of, in my experiences of having to spend money, whatever our goal was, and even though like we're not seeing what the bottom dollar is or whatever, but we're actually taking data and implementing it in some way and like, hey, this is what we did. This is what we implemented. This is how we grew. This is how we didn't grow or whatever. And it's also one of those things that, you know, into budget year, you know, how much we have left if we don't spend this amount. Or whatever, and show what we've done. We're not. We're not going to get it back. Just right, because the uh, because the other bit essentially says is like, look, we gave you money to accomplish goals. Yeah. Uh, you either accomplish them, and if you and it, and a oversimplistic view is is if you well, if money if money is left over and you hit your goals, well, you didn't need as much money as we gave you, and so we're going to use that money for something else because you're accomplishing your goals without spending all the money. That's an oversimplified but effective way of thinking about it. Yes. Huh. And that's just, you know, in the version of a, a government piece, but like mom and pop 
story. Oh, it's, that big it's exactly, table, it's complete. Is it, you know, it's all the math is always the same. Like it really, like there is a reason why, like in, you know, anybody that studies business, one of the core bits you learn is how to read a profit and loss statement. Like I actually like laughing. Oh, if I could go back and tell college me again, like take a course, it's like you should have taken one business course. Like it definitely should have, Dave, you should have taken like basic business accounting because you would have learned this stuff so much earlier and been way more effective well i mean you know it seems like you have a you know a pretty good head on your shoulders just because of what you said earlier in the, uh, the conversation is where you were talking about the different work areas that you had you were kind of picking up small things and it pearls and gems whatever you want to say and just and you ended up putting them all together and you're like oh, hey, i mean that's, i i love to i love to learn i've spent my entire career constantly exploring and coming up with new ideas like and exploring and, and understanding that you know I, I it's okay to i don't know everything right and the best thing you can do is spend your day learning new stuff and finding new ways to implement it so yeah i'm, I'm a I'm, I'm a lifelong learner well i see even sounds like what you're doing with your podcast right now you know you're learning about you know, like we just talked about the employees getting uh, laid off or whatever. And you're learning, like receiving new information and just what to uh, implement. Yeah. I, I, I drink drink from the news fire hose every day. And what I'm what I'm trying to do is, is you know, I know that the people that are doing these, the you know, delivering IT services are super busy people. Right. And they don't have the time. They've got a million you know, different priorities. And so they want somebody that thinks like them, that spends their time doing this stuff, drinking from the fire hose and trying to come up with a couple of things they need to know and give them some priority. You know, the value that I do, I mean, anybody could go read the news. The value I'm trying to deliver is, is I'm reading it with a particular perspective, telling you not only why, uh, reading, giving you the insight into the story, but also why I thought it was important to give you some level of perspective of, okay, this is what I saw and why I think you person doing it services needs to know this yeah yeah it's cool to have that even for somebody and i like that just because i'll get most of my news either from podcast or just watch yeah. random little clips on youtube so having somebody like a go-to person like you dave i mean just to know that oh he's keeping up with the information hey i trust what he's saying let me go dive in on listen what's going on with him and wait get his take on it and then then yeah. I can stop from there if I agree or don't. Or well, exactly, exactly, and that's why also my my format is intentional, right? So I do a piece where it's like, well, here's the news, and then I say, and why do we care? And here's Dave's opinion. I opinions are okay, right? But they're also not facts. So here's here's the story, right? I gave you the story without. Then I analyze it so that you you're right. And I, I always laugh and go, people don't have to agree with me. I'm totally fine with that. Like if you and I I laugh and go, if anybody comes up with an idea that is the exact opposite of what I thought about it and goes out and makes a ton of money, I will totally applaud that. <laughs> like it's, it's because the idea wasn't I have to be right. The idea was I picked it, I gave you my perspective, and now if you think that's, you, you can. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. Because with Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe, and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts, or at least grab yourself an extra morning latte this month. Join millions of Chime members who work on their financial progress with fee-free overdraft and no monthly fees. When you find new ways to save, you can reach your financial goals easier and still have the occasional treat. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals 24. That's chime.com slash goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA, members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com slash disclosures for details. Execute against a different plan against that idea. Cool. There's not more than one way to solve this problem. As anybody in IT knows, there's oftentimes multiple ways to solve the problem. That, that's so, you know, I want people, when independent, well, I don't want to say I want people, but you should want people to disagree with you on some things. Oh, did you freeze up again? Oh, you're back now. Okay. Yep, I'm, another you're, another <laughs> sorry. It's my, it's my, it's quite all right. You were, you were saying that you, you want people to, <laughs> okay, you want people to disagree with you or you should want people to disagree with you just because I have another alternate perspective on, you know, X topic just because of, yeah, like your take on it is, could be great. That's fine. And my take could be on it. Great too. But somebody else could have thought about it in a different way. I'm like, Oh, and this is what happens to me. This is just personally speaking. Like, Oh wait, I didn't think about it like that. That makes a little bit more sense. And that, and, and I guess not be married to your ideas in that way. You can be like, Hey, that's a great perspective. Let me take that and run with it too. And I've also add to my, yeah, exactly. It's it's okay, and and you know the, the debating of ideas is a great, fantastic thing. I, ideas, you know, it's different arguing over people, different whole like that's different. But I, over ideas, that's important. We need to have communication where we're debating and discussing ideas to come out with different ways to do it, particularly in business. Do you think that's one of the issues with the modern world today? I guess just because more people are only focused on. You know, for example, I only get my not not me, but some people get their only news from either Fox News or CNN or, or one, you know, a Joe Rogan or whoever, and like whatever they're saying, like, oh, I'm with it. I'm married to this guy. I know what he's saying. Whatever I did, he's saying I'm going to be all about it, and that's what I'm going to go relay to the world. So rather than even doing their own research, kind of like what you were saying, and and just you know, where we just talked about Microsoft laying off X amount of people, but they're not really giving you. Hey, there's another side to the story too, where they're actually getting other jobs. Does that kind of make sense? What I'm saying, I hope so. It does. So, I mean, I I have a couple of you know, I, I think about this a lot, and I will say that you know, I I think it's important to understand that the definition of kind of doing research is not just listening to a bunch of people with opinions, right? The, the there there is, there are. I'm a big believer. There are facts, right? There are bits that you have to dig into, which is is information that is that is first party, that is coming from data and research and information and science. There's a bunch of different ways that you can go and you can focus on those. There are different ways to interpret that, and we should have smart conversations about that. And I think that, you know, and, and so for me, it's it's that separation. Is let's talk about 
you know, facts versus versus opinions. They are important. Now we can break down opinions and also recognize that I think it's important to understand oftentimes the financial motivation of the people that are delivering opinions. Right. The, the, and I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Right. I think it's important to understand how people make money. I sell ads. Right. I sell ads in my uh, in my podcasts. They are from software vendors that generally want to reach people delivering IT services. So the basic premise of my show is that if IT services people believe I am delivering a value, they will continue to listen. And those advertisers can get <laughs> you know, can get audience time and listen to that. And that's the basic financial model. And I think it's important, to do, right? It's important to understand how, how everybody makes money. There are oftentimes there are news sources that are benefit benefiting from outrage more than information. Uh, and because outrage is also an emotion, it actually does end up buying loyalty and investment. And it's one of the most uh, raw human emotions you can have. And there is a, there's a marketplace for outrage, uh, and you have to be very mindful of knowing that someone may be profiting off your outrage. Uh, and I think it's important to break that that down um, because, you know, and 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 oftentimes, you know, several of the sources that you talk about are actually distinctly benefiting from outrage. And that's amplified by a, you know, a technology implementation via social media that often is rewarding those people for outrage. Um, you know, the what, what's the what's the quickest way to make something go viral? Well, it's make something that makes everybody angry. 100 percent. Right. And so, you know, it's why we don't say, you know, like, you know, if the, the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads on news. Right. People don't want to see the, the kittens and the unicorns and the fuzzy stories. They get much more engaged when it is is much more controversial, scary or make something that makes you angry. And I think it's really important to be aware of that, because as you analyze sources, you can then also go. Okay, wait a second. How are they making money? How are because that's it's healthy, right? I don't I don't discredit anybody from making a making a living, right? That's total. But you need to understand it, and the moment you do, it may actually color your thinking on the way that opinion is being delivered and the value of that opinion. Do you think listeners can pick up on that as far as uh, I guess the authenticity of it all, where you are being outraged and they know that. Oh, this, it, this sounds kind of fake to me. Or is it it's really hard? It's really hard, and and I will actually say this is this is actually like literally the point of things like me, media literacy as training in education, like for 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 students, right? Is to learn how to interpret media. Media literacy is actually a skill. You have to practice it. You have to be taught it. You have to practice it over and over again. And even people that do it all the time. Like it's it's a thing, right? <laughs> you have to continually be investing in that. So uh, it doesn't come naturally necessarily, you know, because by the way, humans are trusting. Like we are, we we are, I mean, I, I, I have been very, very lucky to do a lot of travel and to meet a lot of people. And my general observation is, is that most people are pretty nice. I agree. That, that actually like my experience in life has really been that if, that most people are pretty great. And they're pretty nice. And if you treat them nicely, they treat you nicely back. Uh, and it's really not that hard to like meet people because you can do things like ask them about their food or their drink or their customs or their clothing or whatever, or their interests. And they always open up and they're happy to show you. Like if you travel somewhere, they're happy to show you their place, right? Because they're proud of it. And that's actually my experience. But because we have that physical experience where things are normally very good, uh, when the motivation is is less pure, 
particularly for financial, it's harder for us to suss that out because by inclination, we trust. You know, I agree with that statement too. And I, I remember talking about that with somebody. Uh, it's probably been a while now. I don't know how long ago, but you know, I, I think generally all people want to be kind to each other just because of it would be anarchy 24 seven. If we didn't, you know I mean? We'd always be trying to, you know, you couldn't go walk into the grocery store without, you know, havoc being right <laughs> played out. Right. But I mean, cause most people, you know, we have a set of rules. Most people want to abide by these social citizens, citizenship rules. And then, you know, and that's how the world works. But yeah, there are outliers to everything, but I, I agree hundred percent that most people want to be kind to one another and help somebody out with a few bad examples or bad eggs out there, but that's how it goes. I mean, you know, like, again, like for example, we couldn't drive across the nation if we were all just wanting to. Well, but it's also really easier to see that stuff, right? You know, uh, 200 years ago, they didn't have insight into the wide variety of things that are all happening. Even a hundred years ago, even 50 years ago, they didn't have insight into that, right? At the, at the level that we do, you know, we can know what's going on anywhere in the planet right now, right? Well, it is likely you'll find some stuff that isn't so good, right? If if your reach is that incredibly broad, <laughs> but that that is not necessarily a fully accurate picture of of actual conditions overall. Like you know, crime has gone down consistently. Like in the United States over the last you know hundred years, crime goes down generally. Like as a rule, like life expectancy with a notable caveat in the last like two years or so, life expectancy was generally going up. Um, people are living longer. They're living healthier. They're, they're generally the wealth level has been going on, going, going up, particularly in the 20th century, as we did into the first part of the 21st century, like generally things are getting better. That is not necessarily evenly distributed. It is not necessarily equal for all, but as a very general statistic across America as one country, like things have gotten a lot better. Uh, but we can then dive in, but we have more exposure to the things that aren't, right? And we get to be critical, more critical thinkers as we continue to evolve. And so I think for me, that kind of media literacy is super important to talk about and make the analysis when you're thinking about where you're getting information from. I agree 100. percent It's one of the probably the it is the best time to be alive right now, just because of you know all the conveniences or whatever. But but with plus the alternative is really bad. Yeah, <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> the, the alternative to being alive not so good. <laughs> but you know, and with what you said though, I'm wondering that with you know learning about new world events and rather than seconds, you know, just open up your phone and be like, oh wait, shit, this is going on or whatever. I mean, is it almost? information overload for the modern brain just well, more to- more importantly the de- the device is intentionally designed to make you addictive i've heard that i've read that i mean it's it is it is but the the devices are made particularly like your mobile phone your the the social media apps they are intentionally designed to be addictive uh-huh. uh that's a problem <laughs> that's yeah. uh i don't fault the designers for taking advantage of that you know but but the, you know i i talk a lot about about the idea of i believe in guardrails right like i believe in societal guardrails the super simplistic example that i like to use is that you know if you and i open up a chemical plant the cheapest way to dispose of our waste is put the plant by a river and dump it into the river next to the next to the plant let it wash away right that's the cheapest way to do it 
But generally, as a society, people have decided that they would like their water to not glow green, right? So, so instead, we're not we're not going to allow that. Now, we could have a very healthy debate about what clean water is defined as, right? Like we could have that's a science and politics and economic debate. But generally, as society, we've decided, you know what, we would really like to have some clean water. We don't want to, you know, create fish with three eyes. Uh, like we're we're not going to allow the dumping of wastewater purely in into our water system, right? We've decided that as a society. These are the rules of engagement. This is why we have rules and society and the messiness of politics, right? To decide these collectively what our rules of engagement are going to be because I, I'm a capitalist, right? I'm a hardcore capitalist. Believe in, believe in that. But I also believe that there are certain questions that society as large has to decide to allow for the brutal de debate of capitalism within that. Uh, and that's the tension. And by the way, it's a healthy tension. We should all be talking about it and debating where those rules are. And they're going to change over time as our ideas evolve. And that's all healthy. Like, I mean, having those debates is a healthy thing. Just saying you're a capitalist, I mean, that would be uh, obviously – well, I mean, I'm not going to debate with you because I, I agree with it. But I, that seems to be an easy – I don't want to say it's a hot topic, but a lot of people would like to would debate with you on that about if, whether that's what a pro or con, I guess, being a capitalist. Well, I mean, but 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 by the way, I'm not an unrestricted capitalist, which is like I don't that that's the tension, right? That's the tension. I don't believe like everything possible will be solved purely by the markets, uh, you know. I mean, and, and I can laugh. You know, there's a, there's actually like a story of a of a town that went all libertarian and got overrun by bears. Really? Yeah, it's a great great story. Go look at it, right? Because because literally they just started. Everyone's going to do their own thing, uh, and it went full on libertarian, and everyone was looking out for just themselves, and nobody was looking out for the bears who <laughs> overran the town. It's a great story in in the collapse of of that 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 debate, right? Like, and and I, I I'm, you can see I'm intentionally talking about it in a way that's inclusive because I think that's important. No, I agree. No, uh, I made a note about that real quick, but I guess my point was is that. You know, some people would take that instead of hearing you say what you just said, they would take, oh, I'm a hardcore capitalist, or I think it's kind of what you said that they would instantly yeah. just run with that and all of a sudden just label you as a person, but like, you know, well, screw Dave. I don't really like that. That's why well. he is. But I, mean, <laughs> but I, I guess that's just in talking about politics and kind of what we were just been saying. That's just what came to my mind is initially saying something like that. People automatically label you, especially in today's modern world, it seems like, you know, whether it's vaccines, abortion, politics, religion whatever it's like you whatever side you stand on it's it's almost you can't be on the right side or wrong side depending on whose company you're in i guess well it's it's very true right but 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 the other thing about it is and, and you know maybe i'm a little old-fashioned right and i don't mind a little bit of old-fashioned on this is is that I, you know i'm, I'm going to try and be a good person uh, i'm going to try and do right by people i'm going to try and look out for people i'm going to try and be kind i'm going to give opinions okay. you know and and i'm and and i think you can you can you can disagree without being disagreeable uh, and and maybe that's you know, you know that's that's a uh, again maybe maybe just a little old fashioned but you know what I'm going to hold on to some of those ideas because I think they work even better in an uh, over amplified environment. No, uh, yeah, cool. Yeah, I like that, Dave. Yeah, I mean, just hold on to your ideas and. Just run with them. That's that's a good point. Well, but but also don't be don't you know don't be sacred. They're not sacred, right? Like 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 yeah, okay. I've. I mean, when you when you sort of when I stack rank things, I stack rank people over these over these ideas, right? Like, is is these are, these are debate, but that doesn't mean I have to like I'm never going to be mean. Like, really, it's you know, 
Yeah, that's what I like to say is that, you know, like I think we kind of said earlier, even earlier in the podcast that, you know, having these debates are good and that, you know, I'm not going to flaunt a person just for thinking the way they think. And, but if they're, if they're not, have to, haven't done the research or, you know, certain studies have come out and they're just kind of this rambling or saying rambling things. It's just like, well, hey, man, do you, have you read this? Do you know this? I mean, yeah. and I'm not there to demean a person by any means, but it's just have a civil, talk yeah, so right. up talk man that's all we're doing and then at the end of the day i still want i'll still hopefully like you as a person unless you just come off completely <laughs> mean or whatever but uh, well it's but it's again it's all it's all about attitude right and and you know i i love one of the, the big business lessons that i've been focused on a lot in the past few years is that most of the time you can figure out what's going on when you look outside the business realm particularly on an individual basis um, not, you know, most of the time when I find when I when I'm talking to somebody who is struggling professionally, it probably has more to do with outside of their business context than inside the business context. Right. You, yeah. you, you're mostly maybe there's something going on at home. Maybe there's something going on in their life. They've got a struggles with child care or a parent that's sick or the, they're they're struggling with mental health or you know like m- most of the time most of the time when you can get when you dig into that you'll find that it is more outside of their context as a work human to okay. find out where the, where the core bit is and and I think that's where I put that lens on like, you know when it, when I talk about being like hardcore capitalist like that's within the context of that business stuff right that doesn't necessarily mean that it fully extends into the way that I think about humans. And I, and I found that the more that I actually look at people as whole humans and try and understand their story, the better I am in business. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense, man. It's like, just understand the human psychology in a way, I guess the modern brain works. And and by the way, I quip like it's also like understanding your customers. (laughs) They are, they are, whole people they are not just stats or a number or a particular type they are whole people and if you want to understand your customers and deliver better for them you need to understand them and their challenges you know i i spend time thinking about diversity equity and inclusion why because i can have talk to more customers <laughs> it's it opens up markets for me when i understand people that don't just look like me <laughs> it's like it's it's really kind of simple. Yes, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot more people out there than just that. That's, that's right. And, and kind of going back a little bit, was this kind of the what we've been talking about? You know, with you know technology and just a little bit of politics right there and or whatever. But was that part of the reason why you started your podcast? Was just to have, I guess, looking at it like, oh, like how do I want to? I'm having trouble saying this this thought, but just knowing that there's somebody like you out there who can relay certain information and. That oh wait you know I enjoy listening to somebody like this and that's why what you kind of wanted your show to be and that's why you started the pod your podcast was like hey I'm helping out people who that I wish I would have had this help out back when I was going through the whole it was, it's definitely the the core kind of, yeah. yeah I mean I spent I spent I love I love this space right like I love I love IT I love technology I love uh, being effective with it. And one of the things that I've sort of been looking at is, is, you know, I've been doing this for a little while, right? Starting to show the grays and such. Um, And one of the things that I keep learning is, is how much harder it's getting. The technology is so much more complicated. There's so many more components to it. It is always the line, of course, as we as technologists always talk about how it's uh, cheaper, faster, easier. Uh, Those are never true. 
right? With the exception of faster. Um, but on top of that with faster, we also make more complicated tasks for it. So it's relative, but mm -hmm. it's never cheaper. We're always spending more money on this stuff. And it is always more complex because it can do so much more. Uh, but because of those complexities, I, I want to try and make that more approachable. And anything that I can do to deliver some kind of insights felt like something that I could, wanted to spend my time on. Um, I've done it with, directly with customers, right? Like when I ran my own IT company, it was me working hands-on with customers. Then I worked with, uh, you know, I worked with software vendors that were empowering those companies to be better with their customers. And now it's a little bit of a way of, of doing it kind of digitally where I can get back to doing it closer with those IT services company, but at a much larger scale, right? The, the, the ability to be able to say like, you know, hey, I can be in somebody's ear, uh, you know, whispering for five minutes. There's some ideas, here's some insights for you as on the podcast. You know, that's a, that's a really uh, powerful reach. And so that's why I, I focus there. I like how you just talked about, well, I think you said it was uh, all work is like good, fast and or cheap or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, like, and I've heard that before. And but I heard it in a way that if you start a project with somebody or a task or whatever you want to call it, you only get two of those things. So if it's fast and cheap, you're, it's not going to be good. You know? Yes. Yeah, that's the triangle version of it too. So, so what I, but what I'm saying, and that's a totally true way of looking at it, right? You really do only get to control, the customer only gets to control two of those. The implementer gets to control the third. Uh, the way that I think about it though, is, is when we talk, uh, when we try and sell technology to customers, we always talk about the fact that it's cheap. Well, it's cheaper, right? The technology always making everything cheaper. No, it doesn't. It always, it's, that's not ever, the budgets have always gone up. IT spend has always gone up every year. We're spending more on technology than we've ever spent before. But the difference is we're just getting more back for the spend, right? We spend more, we get so much more back than we did five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Like, you know, your technology spend is so much smarter and better and more encompassing, but it didn't go down. <laughs> it's, huh. This might be a little bit on a on or it might be a little unrelated. I don't know, but I was it's just I don't know. You, you said something just sparked in my brain, but yeah, I guess because with all the technology from the way we keep improving and how we keep thinking it's getting cheaper and cheaper, and usually it's seems like the norm now is just to go, you know, to throw out your old computer, just go buy a new one rather than just try to get it fixed, right? Just because of you know just saying, oh, it's just not worth it even to get it fixed. But what is your take on? And I was just because you're more of an expert than I am, obviously, but on e-waste in this country i mean just like i said just like it's so easy to just go get a brand new 55 inch tv now or whatever size you want just because they're almost like when they first started coming out yeah they were thousands of dollars now you can get one on black friday for like what a couple hundred and, yes. I, and, and you know, I, I even went out this last friday and i was like there's not many, many people buying tvs but I was like, man every tv like best buy was this whole floor was just it looked like a tv warehouse and i was like damn what are these people doing with their old tvs you know, yeah. they throw them in, in the dumps. Is that what they go to? I mean, you just can't keep handing them down, handing them down. I mean, so, I mean, is there something out there going on that I don't know? I mean, even with my work, like, you know, we have like an e-waste bin and I don't know where it goes at the end of the day. I've never really asked, but that's kind of what we do. Then I, was like, well, I guess it's getting recycled in some form, I hope. It does. I mean, there, there's a recycling movement. I'm, I'm a big proponent of the entire right to repair movement. In fact, one of the things that's happened over the past 10 or 20 years is that the way the licensing and the way the products are built has removed some component of a consumer and owner's ability to repair the device. Um, you know, particularly as as some of this has become more linked to services, you know, the the ability to repair that stuff has gone away. 
Um, I'm not necessarily advocating that everyone needs will will be repairing, you know, electronics the way they might have in the 50s and 60s, right? Okay. But at the same time, at the same time, the ability should be there. I do tend to be a believer that if you buy something, a physical thing, you own the physical thing and you have the ability to repair the physical thing. Sure. One of the reasons why we aren't doing, you know, that you don't see as much repair done is, is that it is not actually made possible in the same way. Um, you know, our, our parents and grandparents would be horrified at the fact that they can't, that they bought a TV in the 70s and 80s. And if it was broken, you could get the manual and parts were made available. Well, now the, those those manufacturers have determined that it not always necessarily need to provide those manuals and parts, that it, it is better for them economically to require you to replace that stuff. Uh, I'm not saying that, well, as I said, I'm not saying that everyone's going to want to do that, but I think the options should be more there and made available. And those manufacturers and oftentimes have closed that off. In fact, we've seen some really interesting versions of this in both medical equipment and in like farm equipment. Um, there's if you get into right to repair arguments around John Deere tractors, it's a huge movement for farmers to be able to have the ability to repair their own equipment. Um, you know, that that's a whole entire space. And we're actually starting to see laws put into place uh, that are requiring that. In fact, New York State's had that passed that law. It's still waiting for the governor's signature, but they're actually in, in, enacting a law that will require right to repair. And we're starting to see some companies push back that. So it's actually an interesting, complicated case wow. around where that space has happened. And we have we as as consumers and consumer business consumers have have lost some of the rights. This is an area of my own personal interest. You know, I'm I'm actually all into old retro video game systems and, and the ability to repair some of that stuff is greater on those older systems than it is on modern stuff because we don't have the, we don't have the information. Exactly. That's a good point. Huh. And I didn't realize there was a right to repair law being done in New York and across some states now. I didn't know it took it was going that big of a dive. I just really just thought it was just people were just throwing out their old shit and just hoping that some company could recycle it in some fashion or the other. And I didn't really think that even to your point that where, you know, even, you know, an iPhone where you just can't really work on it anymore, but that, and that and even went into uh farmers wanted to repair their own stuff just because they, what well, they don't want to have to wait for. But your phone, your phone's even a great example. What, you know, what the, the ability Apple has locked it down in a way that even repairing, replacing the battery or the screen can void the warranty. Yes. Well, yes. well, wait a second. Why, why, why shouldn't that be? You know, why shouldn't there be ways for that to be serviced? You know, in a, in a way that is trying to be more more conscious of waste, right? Like these are these are great devices. They can last for a while. Why can't I have my battery replaced? Why can't I have my screen replaced? You know, I own that thing. <laughs> it's it's and and that space is starting to get really debated out from a from a legal perspective. I thought we were trying to see a uh, trying to see a trend where technology sales, like even uh, it seems like iPhone 14 was getting pushed really hard this year. But it seems like more people, and I thought personally speaking, more people were kind of like, "Hey, I don't have to update every year. You know, I'll just wait a couple more years extra until I get a new phone." And, you know, and and I kind of thought that along with everything as far as TVs and computers now. But sometimes now, you know, other things I'm reading, like I don't know, maybe people people were still so technologically addicted that oh, I got to always have the shiny new 
iPhone or whatever. Maybe I think we're starting to see some of those numbers extend. I think the lifetime on some of those devices are extending longer than we thought as much, particularly our people are holding onto their phones a little bit longer. They are much more incremental upgrades. That's why we're seeing longer service times on computers, you know, and, and a lot of these pieces of technology, they are lasting a little bit longer. And I think that's a health that's that is healthy. We're going back a little bit. I didn't want to skip over this. And I know we're kind of starting to get a little short on time though, but Favorite retro video games? I didn't know. Uh, well, I know we talked a little bit about those pieces right there behind you, but uh, you're a retro video game person. You, you, I totally, I totally am. One of my hobbies is is keeping those systems alive. I've got an entire run of Nintendo and Sony and and uh, Microsoft, and I've got old Atari machines. I've got old computers, and every everything of mine works. So, for example, like that's the an original Apple II GS and an original Commodore sixty four, and they all still work. Nice. What's it like? Is it hard maintaining them once you get them working or what, or even to get them working? Or I wish I could say I'm that talented. I actually work with, with some guys that do repairs to, you know, that, that actually do the soldering and recapping and that kind of stuff for me. But I, I just like to collect them and keep them, keep them up and running. Yeah, sometimes I notice myself going down YouTube rabbit holes where I see something like that. And I'm just like watching other people do it. It's like, man, you know, I'm the same way. I would love to be able to. And I, I say that now, but I'm sure it can be pretty frustrating at times, especially, you know, not having certain parts just to get them going again. But it's so awesome that, you know, you're one of those people who still love the retro stuff and keep them going, man. I love it. Yeah, as much as I got my eye to the forward technology, I still have a love for the old school stuff, too. I like uh, I'm still I don't play video games as much as I used to, but I still like to play and I try to keep all my old systems. I even like going to Goodwill every now and again and like looking to see if they somebody even dropped off an old NES or something. It's like, I'm going to snatch it. They do. I don't know if it works or oh, not. No, oh, totally. Yeah, I, I, I still make time for that. It's a good good uh, stress reliever. And and the re- the research says good for your hand-eye coordination. Yeah, it's actually, uh, you know, a lot of people say, I mean, we don't have to go down the whole video game debate. <laughs> uh, but not even that, just the cognitive abilities that you get from it, just, you know, with the puzzles and stuff where people think, oh, and well, maybe 10, 15 years ago, they thought it was ruining your brain or whatever, maybe even longer than that. But now they're starting to come out that, like, hey, besides video game addiction, there is actually pretty good for you just figuring it out on yourself, not only with the hand eye coordination. So. Yeah, the research on kids is that they're actually they they're uh, they develop a little bit faster and have better hand eye coordination by by playing video games. Well, love it, Dave. Let's take this home on a good note right there, I say. So uh, if people want to find your podcast, if people want to find you or just anything you want to plug or promote, feel free to do that. I appreciate that. If people are interested in my stuff, it's all available at businessof.tech. There's a big blue subscribe button in order to find me on the podcast version, the YouTube shows. I write a a weekly newsletter or you can get the Daily Digest versions of my my stories, all different ways. You can find me, of course, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn. Find me under Dave Sobel. I'm always happy to talk to people. And if there's anything I can do to help a listener do not hesitate to ask cool man well thanks for being here thanks for having a little chat with me uh, around the holidays here it was fun I enjoyed it thanks again oh thanks for having me this has been great fun out of here folks see ya Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line 
prop or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. 